Looks like the uh, golf tournament two weeks ago was a big hit. Businesses were excited. Vendors did well. How many of you made it out to the Valspar golf tournament a couple weeks ago? Okay, several of you. Every day, they said, the crowds kept getting larger and larger and larger. Even though Jordan Spieth and Roy McIlroy didn't make the cut, but a tiger came to town, didn't he? A tiger came to town. And, And again, every day... Those crowds were following Tiger, and every day, larger and larger and larger. Now, I am not comparing Tiger to Jesus. (laughs) There is a big difference between Tiger and the sinless Son of God, all right? However, as Jesus came into Jerusalem, the city only holds about 100,000 people normally, But because of all the great things Jesus had done, there were about 2 million people on that Palm Sunday. It was fun following Tiger Woods on Sunday afternoon. Ethan and I got tickets. I go home on Sunday after church after preaching three times, and I have like the mother of all naps on Sunday afternoon. And you know how it's a good nap? I only sleep for 12 minutes, by the way. It's a 12-minute nap, and you know it's a great nap when you don't know where you are, and you're not even sure who you are, and you're drooling all over the sofa or whatever. I mean, it, it, it's a great nap at that point. And so I, I, I woke up, and we went. It's 3 o'clock, and so we get there, and Tiger's just teeing off the 10th tee. And so Ethan says, do you want to follow him? I said, yeah, let's follow So we walked the 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and on 17, he's only two strokes back, he sinks a 40-some foot putt and the crowd goes crazy. There's just electricity in the air. It's exactly what happened when Jesus came down the Mount of Olives on a donkey into the city of Jerusalem. The messianic expectations were at an all-time high because of Jesus's performance. What he did drew a crowd. What he did caught everyone's attention. And you were either a friend or a foe, but you weren't neutral about Jesus of Nazareth. And so let me just tell you a couple of stories that kind of ramps us up to that Palm Sunday. In Mark chapter 5 and Mark chapter 6, there's just story after event after story after story, and it just tells us why he caught everyone's attention. First of all, they get in a boat, they go on the other side into a region of a demoniac. And this guy's name was Legion, and he's filled with demons. And Jesus casts him out, and he puts him into the pigs. Remember that story? And the pigs go down the cliff. Remember that story from Sunday school years ago? And the man is um, so crazy, you can't, you can't hold him. He's unrestrainable. He's got chains that he breaks. He cuts himself. And Jesus says, you know, out of, you know, he heals him out of this man, you impure spirit. And he's dressed, and he's in his right mind. It's a great, great story. The next quick story, though, is there's a woman who's gone to every specialist known to mankind, and yet she still has an issue of bleeding, an issue of blood. For 12 years, the woman's had this, and now she just is in a crowd. Imagine the crowd yesterday out at Waterfront Park. Imagine the crowd at Valspar, and you're all getting crunched and swished, and all of a sudden, squished, and somebody says, who touched me? 
And she knew if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. And, and, and she was. And, and when Jesus did that, he was on his way to a funeral. There was a little girl that had died. And he's on his way to a funeral, and he gets everybody out of the house. And he says, little girl, I say to you, get up. And she, she wakes up from the dead. The very next story then, Jesus puts on a seminar, a several-day seminar. Now, you should try to hold people's attention for 30 minutes. Okay, without you checking your stocks or you checking the ceiling tiles or whatever, you know, you should try to hold people's attention for thirty minutes. Jesus held people's attention for days, and they said, "Never has anyone ever taught like this. Never." And then Jesus says, "Well, let's feed them," and they're going, "Well, how are we going to do that?" And who's got any food? And a little boy's got a sack lunch. And Jesus says, that's all we need. And there were five loaves and two fish. And not only did everybody get fed, but they were so amazed that everybody had leftovers. There were so much leftovers. Twelve basketfuls were picked up in, in, in leftovers. And then Jesus sends them in a boat on the other side of the lake. And a storm comes up. And he starts walking on water in the middle of the night. Now, how cool would that be? Would that not be awesome to see Jesus walking on the water? And he says, peace, be still. And Just event after event after event. And the crowds are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I want to introduce two principles this morning that we're going to talk about several times. And you're going to have to stay with me to see how this fits to your life. But oh, does it apply to you. Principle number one. There are miracles in the messes. You have miracles that have come through your mess. Every one of us in this room has either had a mess, we're in a mess, or we'll be in a mess, right? You're either in it, or you're out of it, or you're about to go into one. And yet, if you're in Christ, there can be a miracle. That's lesson number one that we're going to talk about and let that breathe and soak in. Number two. There are messes, though, in just about every miracle. You think about the great things that are happening in your life, a new job, but yet there's still some messes, a new business, but there's still some messes, a new baby's born in the family, but there's still some messes with that. You've gotten married, you love your husband, you love your wife, but, but there's still some challenges to get along. There, there's probably, in almost all of your miracles, there's a little bit of a mess with everything that goes on. In fact, Jesus said it best, in this world, you will have trials and tribulations. You could turn to the person on the side of you and say, you're going to have trouble. You could turn to the person on the other, say, other side of you and say, you are trouble, and both would be absolutely true, okay? <laughs> absolutely true. And so here's what happens. In the demoniac, there's a miracle. Jesus heals him, and he's dressed, and he's in his right mind, but he wants to go with Jesus. He wants to forget his past. He doesn't want to remember where he's come from. And here's what Jesus says. Here's a little bit of a mess. You can't go with me. You're not coming with me. I won't let you go with me. Go back, tell them what the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on your soul. You can't forget, demoniac, where you've been because it's part of your story. There's a woman 
with the issue of blood, and she touches Jesus, and she gets healed. First time, 12 years, no specialist could heal her. Now she's healed. That's the miracle, but there's a little bit of a mess. Who touched me? Am I in trouble? Will he shame me? Oh my gosh, what have I done? There's a little girl that Jesus just raised from the dead. Miracle of miracles. And they laughed at Jesus. Even though there was a great miracle, there was still a mess even in that miracle. No one ever taught like this. No one ever taught with this a great authority. And here's what they did. They took offense at him. Even though he was the greatest teacher of all times, the Bible says they took offense at him. And here he comes walking on water. And you've got these trained seamen who are frightened. A squall comes up. They're straining at the oars, and they cannot get across the lake. Now, when experienced boaters get worried, take warning. Have you ever been on a boat? It has exceeded your skill set, and you got worried? I've done that one time in the Keys. We're out 25 miles, and water is rolling over the engines. And I knew that I was beyond my skill set. And I said, Lord, you got to help me with this one because we're in trouble. And so here's the story in Mark chapter 6. Merely Jesus made his disciples get in the boat and gone ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Now, that's how you win the day. Jesus always knew how to win the day. He knew how to win the morning. He knew how to win the evening. He knew how to win the night. He goes up and he, goes, he prays. He connects. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars. They're in a little bit of trouble. He can help them. Because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking by the lake. He was about to pass by them. What does that look like? They're straining the oars, and here comes Jesus walking by them. Hey, bros, how's it going? I mean, is he going to go just right <laughs> past the boat? It's a great story. I, I don't know. It's cool. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them, and he said, guys, hey, it's me. Take courage. It, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed in the boat with them, and the wind died down. And they were completely amazed. Don't you like how Mark, like, undersells this? They were freaked out, guys. Completely freaked out. They were completely amazed. They had not understood about the loaves. And what does it say? And their hearts. Their hearts were hardened. We're going to come back to that. Now, here's what we do. We get a miracle. We get a new job. We get a new spouse. We get a new kid. We get a new toy. We get something in our lives that's really good, a new, a new opportunity, a new ministry, a new vision. And here's what we tend to do. We miss the miracles because all we can really feel and think and talk about are the messes. God's large and in charge in your life. He's blessed you with this and this and this and her and him and they and all this. And all we can sometimes do is like gripe and criticize and complain because all we can see is right here. We can't see out here. We can't see what God's doing. All we are thinking about is, my goodness, I got a new contract, but I got to work another hour. 
I've been praying for four years that we could have a baby. Now we got twins, and now, now we're up half the night. That would be a nightmare. But anyway, um, and so what do we do? We get all these incredible blessings from God. And all we can think about and see and feel and talk about are the messes. Now, you're going to have messes. And you're going to have miracles. And where are you going to live and dwell? And then here's the next question is, what, what do we do with the mess that's in the miracle? Almost every miracle has a little bit of mess. Every miracle of Jesus, they took offense at him. They laughed at him. They ignored him. They, you think about the messes in all of the miracles that Jesus had in your life, you're going to have miracles and you're going to have messes. Now, here's what it says. It says, and their hearts were hardened. Now, why were their hearts hardened? They're walking on, he's walking on the water. They're out there straining on the oars. They're a little bit afraid. They got the life jackets on. They're freaked out. And all of a sudden, the Bible says their hearts were hardened. Now, why? Why were their hearts hardened? Here's why. For they had not understood about the loaves. They didn't get it. Jesus just fed 5,000 men, 5,000 women, 2.2 kids, 20-some thousand people on the hillside were just fed with five pieces of bread and two fish. And they didn't get it. And their hearts then became hardened. You see, here's what happens in your life. Your heart gets hardened when you don't put your trust in him. Your heart gets hardened when you don't allow the miracles of God to live through you. You see, you know what you can do, but when you don't know what he can do, that's when your heart gets hardened. When you know what you can do and you stop trusting what he can do, You see, all of us in this room know what we can do. All of us know how much time we have. We all know how much money we have. We all pretty much know how much skill we have. We all pretty much know our tomorrow. But when you know and you live on what you can do and not on what he can do, your heart will become hardened. And that's the tension. The tension is, I'm God. Will you put your faith in me? I am Christ. Will you let me live in you? I am Lord God Almighty. I am Jehovah. I can do greater things in you and through you than you could ever dream or imagine. And if you only live in what you can do, and by the way, God's going, I don't care what you can do. I know what you can do. I want to see what you will allow me to do through you. But your heart will become hardened. And all those miracles of the past that you've experienced in your life, they are to prepare you for future challenges and for future miracles. All your faithfulness of the past is helping you for your presence, his presence going forward for you in your future. And so their hearts were hardened because they missed it. Here's the guy who just fed 20-some thousand people. Here's the one who can speak to the water, who can calm the waves, who can hush the seas, and they don't get it. Do you get it? It's not about what you can do. It's always about Christ 
in you the hope of glory. If I stop thinking about what, what he can do, and I keep focusing on what I can do, my heart will become hardened because all of a sudden he gets real silent. When you only live in what you can do, the Holy Spirit gets real silent in your life. And have you ever noticed that? The Holy Spirit just kind of pulls back, just kind of draws back, and all of a sudden you go from the light over here a little bit. And, and here's how the Holy Spirit, he goes, <clears throat> will you trust me? Not a megaphone. He just kind of clears his throat. <clears throat> what, what will you do with what I'm asking you to do? And then what happens next is, this is the worst part. Not that your heart gets hardened isn't good, but it goes from bad to worse. Your heart gets hardened, and then guess what they were? They were terrified. Now, you always go from a hardened heart to being terrified. And here's what terrifying means. It means to set in motion that which needs to remain still. How many times have you set something in motion which you should never have set in motion? And how often has your heart been all stirred up and amped up and you're knotted up because, honestly, you set something in motion that God never intended for you to set in motion? So their hearts were hardened, and you go from being hardened now to being terrified because I know God's calling me to do something. I know God's asking me to be obedient. I know God's calling me to this incredible opportunity, and I'm just not sure that he can really do it because I know what I can do. And the Bible says their hearts were hardened and they set in motion what needs to remain still. I want you to really think about that one this week. How many conversations have you set in motion that needed to remain still? Am I the only one in the room that does that? Okay. How many times has the Holy Spirit asked you to give something greatly away? You see, I got this much time. I have this much money. I have this much skill. God really doesn't care what you can do. He really cares what he can do. And then your heart is soft and your heart is pliable and your heart is excited to be a part of this incredible ministry. All right, so we've got a couple pieces of application to this. I want to talk about these. Number one, there are always miracles in the messes. So let's talk about mess for just a minute. Say mess. mess. Say miracle. miracle. Say mess. mess. Say miracle. miracle. You ever had a mess? No. Yeah. Do you have a mess now? Yes. Yeah. Okay. You're going to either have a mess or you're, going to, you're in a mess or you will have a mess. So, so let, let's talk about this. Have you ever noticed, though, that he makes a promise in Romans chapter 8, verse 28? God works together and causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. So what, what does that really mean? So yesterday, I am picking up um, about 10 shirts from the dry cleaners before the egg drop, early yesterday morning. And um, I'm there at the cleaners, and I have permission to use Margie's name. And Margie goes to our church, and Margie was in first service. And um, I'm paying for the shirts, and she said, what are you preaching on tomorrow? I said, well, I really want to talk about how in every mess, if you're in Christ, God will work a miracle. In fact, God will use your mess. 
God will usually use your mess to help somebody else with the challenges that, that you're going through. And Margie said, well, I want to tell you about my mess nine years ago. I said, okay, I got to get the egg drop, but all right, go ahead. Come on, bring it. You know, I, I, I got to go. But everywhere I go, people want to tell me their mess, which is cool. I'm, I'm good with that. And so she said, um, nine years ago, my husband died. I stop. She has my full attention. I said, Margie, was he sick? She said, no. Totally unexpected. And got a blood clot from a surgery and died instantly. And um, she said, just suddenly died. And she said, my world stopped. Loved my husband, adored my husband. And she said, I was so mad at God. She said, I told God that I was mad as hell at him. People like to cuss around me for some reason. I, 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 I don't know what that says about me as a pastor. I, I'm still trying to figure that out. But anyway, she said, I was just mad as hell at, you know, at God. And, and I'm, she's got my full attention. I'm all ears. And I said, Margie, she said, I, 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 was, I said, I'll never be happy again. I would never go to church again. I would never pray again. I was in the worst mess of my life. I said, well, what did you do? And how did, how did you work through that? Because Margie comes every Sunday, first service. And she's a part of our uh, older singles ministry and program. And great lady. And I love her taking care of my shirt. She makes me look better than I am. So I always, I like Margie. And, and she said, well, it wasn't you and it wasn't Harborside. But about four or five years ago, I was at another church. And I went to the pastor. And I told him how angry I was at God. And uh, he pulled out a chair and said, in his office, said, Margie, God's sitting right here in that chair. Tell him how mad you are. Tell him what you think. And Margie said, for the next 40 minutes, she is yelling at God and screaming at God. And she said, the tears are just pouring down her face. And, And she said, I realized that God was big enough to handle my mess. And I fell in love with him. And I asked him for forgiveness. And now she's taking that mess of losing a spouse, which I can't imagine. They were married for 40-some years. And, um, and she's turned it into a ministry here at Harborside. We have some friends in Knoxville, Tennessee. And I called him the other day, and I asked him, and I said, tell me some of your messes. And he told me a whole bunch of them. But, but the greatest mess was with one of the three kids. And I have permission to tell this story, too. And just a bright girl, beautiful girl, bright girl. But she got lost, and she was now in her seventh year of college with no degree, okay, and developed an eating disorder and would eat and binge, eat and binge. In fact, she would eat so much, it would actually try to numb her, numb herself to to the pain that that she was feeling. Bought a 25-year-old truck. Beautiful girl, started wearing sloppy clothes. He said, look, look like a bum. She'd lost all her dignity. She'd lost all her, her self-esteem. And we were up in Sandestin, Florida. Do you remember this? We were up in Sandestin, Florida with them uh, several years ago on vacation. And we said, let's do a 21-day fast. And we fasted for 21 days for this, this young lady and, and for the family. A whole year goes by, nothing. Nothing changed. Nothing took place. A whole, a whole year goes by, and, and the family and the prayers and their church. This young lady today, I'm, I'm guessing 27, 28, 29 years. This young lady today, she's in the church. She's married. 
She has a master's degree in counseling. She's at a secular high school, a large high school in Knoxville. And she is helping all of these hundreds of students as a counselor. She understands the mess that these children get themselves into, these students. And she's able to help them. And that's the point. Your mess can become God's miracle. Your mess can become someone else's miracle. Your mess is something that you can help someone else to be able to go through. Now, every one of us is going to have messes. There's no question about the fact. But the, the, the point is, what can God do and what will God do through your mess? So we always have messes, but, but also then there are messes in the miracles. Just because you get the dream job doesn't mean there's not going to be a little bit of a rub. Just because you get the dream spouse doesn't mean that she's going to stand up and sing glory hallelujah every time you walk in the room, right? Hasn't happened yet after 33 years. I'm still waiting on it. Today could be the day. I don't know. Could be the day. It's it's all the great things that God is doing in your life. There's still messes. Ministry is messy. Helping people is, it's always messy, but, but it's worth it. And this, this could be a whole other sermon, but I'll cut it short. The shortcut to peace is always in his presence. You get in his presence. Remember, Jesus went out on a mountainside, sent the boys across on a boat. You get in his presence on a regular basis. You will have fewer messes and more miracles. If you get in his presence, you will have, what I say? Fewer messes and more miracles. And that's exactly what you want. And then this last piece of of, uh, advice for us today is, before you set something into motion, God, I can't. Or God, I will. God, I won't. Before you even set something into motion, what, what if you just sat down and you asked God, I think about the things in my life where I have set things in motion that really God didn't have anything to do with. And he really didn't ask me to do this. But I did something because I thought it was what I was supposed to do. Or I didn't do something because I knew what I could do. I didn't know what God could do. And I set into motion some hardness in my heart. And then I set into motion some some, some terror because I'm not fully in God's will. Just sit down. Somebody asked you to do something, don't tell them no, don't tell them yes. Just sit down. You feel the Holy Spirit nudging you to be something? Just ask him, is that you? Was that Taco Bell last night? Ask him. <laughs> ask him. Just, just sit down and ask him. I love what Psalm 46 says. Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth give way and the mountains fall in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. 
The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he's brought on the earth, he makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shield with fire. And he says, what? What does he say? What does he say? Be still and know that I, I am Jehovah. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the creator from the ends of the earth. Be still and what? Know that I am God. And I will be exalted. Oh, yeah. I will be exalted. Thursday was a mess. An absolute mess, Thursday was. Judas betrayed him. Sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. 30 measly pieces of silver, you sell out the Son of God. He goes through an illegal trial pretty much all night long Thursday night. Bouncing back from Pontius Pilate to Herod, Pontius Pilate to Herod, to the Sanhedrin, back and forth. Total illegal trial. He's flogged. He's flogged. And the flesh of Jesus' back is raw and just falling off. It looked like the greatest mess of all time. When the nails went through the hands and the nails went through the feet and Jesus is nailed to a cross beside two criminals and they take what? Some kind of a stick and poke him? And there's a crown of thorns that are rammed on his head and the blood is just spewing from his skin. And then they start spitting on Jesus. I think at that moment when they're spitting all over Jesus in his beard and on his chin and in his eyes, and his eyes are stinging from all that salt. I think God himself had to hold back the archangels. No, no Gabriel, no, no, no Michael. Stand down. This is my plan. It could not have looked like a greater mess. And all the disciples are running. Peter's cussing in front of a middle school girl. The other guys are at home behind locked doors, underneath tables. It's the greatest mess you could ever imagine. But Sunday was coming. Sunday was coming. And when Sunday came and the stone was rolled away and Jesus rises from the dead, and he bursts forth out of that tomb, it it wasn't a mess. It was the greatest miracle of all time. And we're in that miracle. That's part of our story. It's not, we're not the story, but we're in that story. I'm sure some of you this morning are in a real mess. And I'm also sure that some of you in this room don't want to use your mess for a miracle for other people. But why wouldn't you use your mess to help bless other people? The mess that you're in or the mess that you were in isn't going to be the mess that you're going to be in. 
because of the power of the resurrected Savior and Lord. There is no limit to what He can do in you and through you and among you. Don't worry about what you can do. It's really not about you. It's really about Christ in you, that amazing hope of glory. The most important decision that you can make today is to give your life to Christ. The most important decision that the believer in this room can do is to not have a hard heart and not set things in motion. The most important thing that all of us in this room can do is look for the miracle in the messes and in the mess, in the miracles, not think, feel, and just dream about the small little rubs and things that aren't, aren't going well because Jesus Christ is in control of your life. Stand with me. Let's have our prayer partners come down front. Give your life to Christ. On April the 8th, the Sunday after Easter, we're having baptisms at Honeymoon Island Beach. Go sign up to be baptized and identify with the King of Kings. Let's pray together. We can't wait for Easter. We can't wait to celebrate your resurrection because it's our story too. And we get to be a part of that amazing story. Praise you, honor you, love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you. God bless you.